You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Find your way to Genesis chapter 27. Genesis chapter 27, the title of the message, Spiritual Imposters. Imposters, what do you think of when you think of an imposter? What comes to mind? Let me hear from you. Poser. Oh, there's a surfer right there. Uh, That's a surfing term, a poser. Uh, What comes to mind? Imposter. Fake. What else? What was that? Deceiver. Okay. Do you think of of the term uh, with esteem or with disdain? Disdain. Interesting. Yeah, it has a negative connotation. We find that we honor, we value, we esteem devotion and conviction and uh, integrity, but we despise imposters. We despise hypocrisy. Uh, It is interesting that across the world, this is the case, right? Like a deceiver, an imposter is never esteemed. Uh, It's interesting if we look at how the church began by the time of Emperor Diocletian, uh, by the third century, you know, the first 200 years, in other words, there were over 5 million Christians martyred for their faith. That's amazing, right? It's amazing the church even ever got off the ground with that kind of opposition. But people's lives were so convicted, so inspired, so transformed by this living, resurrected Jesus that they would rather die than say Jesus wasn't real. That is genuine faith, and it is powerful. And... The very church was founded on the martyr's blood, if you will. Uh, obviously uh, founded on Jesus Christ. But what I'm saying is, is that uh, in the first three centuries, the Christianity was so real that five million people were willing to lay down their lives just to, uh, 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 because of what Christ had done in their life. So just amazing. In this chapter, we're looking at some spiritual hypocrisy we're looking at some dysfunction and the reality is is there is some of that in all of us and if we are not careful we can easily put on the robes of a spiritual imposter and so today God has given us a story that is uh, just famous in uh, uh, in literature it's the story of Jacob and Esau And uh, Jacob deceiving, Jacob being an imposter, and I think there is a ton of application as we jump in. So did you find your way to Genesis 27? Uh, We're going through verse by verse in the Bible, and if you're here for the first time, this isn't a topical message. Uh, We just go through verse by verse, and this happens to be where the Lord has us today. Uh, So let's jump back, uh, chapter 27, let's go back two verses into chapter 26, probably a better spot for the chapter break, to be frank. Um, 
And let's look at what the story happens here. Uh, uh, you'll remember, if you haven't been with us, here's where we're at. God has made a covenant with Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to make you a great people. And Abraham uh, didn't have any kids until he was 100 years old. And then he had one child. Not the great start to a, to a nation, right? He has Isaac. Isaac goes until he's 40 years old before he ever gets married. Not the great, great start to making a big nation. Doesn't even get married till he's 40. Then he gets married to Rebecca. Doesn't have kids until he's how old? 60. And then he finds out he has twins. And Rebecca has twins, and this is a tumultuous pregnancy. Uh, there is like poltergeist in her stomach, right? It's like, and she cries out, God, what is going on? And he tells her, two nations are inside your womb. They will be opposed to each other. You're having twins. And one will be against the other. And the younger will be the one who receives the inheritance. The older shall serve the younger, which is backwards. The firstborn always gets the inheritance, right? She, and then God says, no, 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 not this time. Uh, the younger will get the inheritance. And so now uh, they have these twins. They come out, sure enough, twins. And they named them Jacob and Esau. They named Esau Esau because he came out and he was a giant furball, just hairy as can be. And so they named him Harry. Uh, Esau in Hebrew is Harry. And they named Jacob deceiver or trickster or shyster because he was holding on to his brother's heel trying to come out first and he came out second. Now, that was the one God said, that was the one who's going to get the blessing. So that's what's happening. That's where we've been. And now we jump in uh, uh, Genesis chapter 27, backing up two verses, chapter 26, verse 24. Are you there with me? Give me a big amen if you're there. Amen. 34, thank you. When Esau was 40 years old, he took as wives Judith, the daughter of Beri, Beri the Hittite. Hittite means uh, uh, from the, the land of Canaan, not a believer, uh, not a good move, right? Uh, and he took Basimath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite. Uh, I don't know who these girls were, but their names aren't pretty. I'll just say that. Uh, and here we learn something. We see uh, Esau is 40 years old. Isaac had Esau when Isaac was 60 years old. So how old's Isaac? He's 100, right? Uh, some of you are like, I don't know. Uh, he's 100, right? So that gives us an idea of the, how much time has passed here. And it gives us an idea of what Esau is like. Esau has no regard for God. You say, how do you know that? Well, here's how we know. You'll remember when Abraham had Isaac, he told his servant, do not let my son take a wife from the daughter of the Canaanite people. Have them go back to our homeland and get a wife from there. And that story would have been passed on. And this story of, hey, God's covenant is with us. God is going to make a great nation out of us. The Messiah is going to come through us. All of that would have been passed on. And how much regard does Esau have for it? None. He marries not one wife, but two. Oh my gosh, not good. 
and they're both uh, Canaanites, right? Uh, and we see he has no regard for the things of the Lord. And look at verse 35. And these two gals, they were a grief to the mind of Isaac and Rebekah. So these women uh, were a grief. Why? Because he's unequally yoked. Uh, they are not followers of God. And they have very different character and very different values. If you're here and you're young and you're looking for a spouse, know this. Behaviors come out of character. And character is formed by beliefs. And if God doesn't shape your character, you're going to have very different beliefs and it's going to cause turmoil in the home. That's exactly what is happening here. These girls, these daughter-in-laws, were a major pain in the rear for Isaac and Rebecca. I have four children. Uh, two of my uh, boys are married. And uh, I have another boy and a daughter. And they both have very significant others in their lives. And I am so thankful that they chose Godly, beautiful spouses, right? What a blessing. I just love being together on, uh, you know, when we gather as a family every Sunday and have dinner together and all these. It's just amazing, and I'm so thankful. And it's tough, man, when, when uh, your son or your daughter brings home a turd. I mean, it's just, <laughs> that's tough, right? That's tough. Uh, <laughs> Lord, forgive me. Uh, and so that's what's going on in this house, right? Uh, it's a grief to them. Chapter 27. And it came to pass when Isaac was old that his eyes were so dim that he could not see. There is a 38-year gap between chapter 26 and chapter 27. So Isaac is now 138 years old. And his eyes are so dim he can't see. He's completely blind. Uh, stricken with age. Uh, it's his season of life that he's in, right? And uh, so he can't see. He calls Esau, his older son, the son who he loved. And he said to him, my son. And he answered, here am I. Then he said, behold, now I'm old. And I do not know the day of my death. Aren't you glad you don't, by the way? Isaac is 138 years old. He thinks his day of death is at hand because he's blind, he's getting old, and he thinks he's going to die. Uh, turns out he's going to live to be 180. He's got 42 more years, but he doesn't know this. He thinks his day, you know, he thinks he's getting old, and uh, he's doing something here. Isaac, now, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm getting old. Verse 3, now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out to the field and hunt some game for me. Isaac loved Esau because Esau just came out a little ball of testosterone. He was a furball, man. He was just hairy, and he was a man's man. He was a hunter. He loved to hunt, and to, he'd bring home big game all the time, and Dad just loved him. And we looked in previous studies. There was some favoritism, and it caused some dysfunction in the family. Jacob, on the other hand, uh, he was a mama's boy. He was smooth skinned, not a hairy guy, the Bible tells us. Uh, he loved to cook. He loved the kitchen. And so Esau, he just 
had a natural inclination for his son Esau. And he says, Esau, I want to bless you, man. Go get a big barbecue, and I'm going to bless you. Look what he says, verse 4. Make for me savory food such as I love. Don't you love a good barbecue, by the way? Uh, I, I love the smell. I love the, the taste. I love the salt. I love everything about it. Uh, and make me a savory uh, food such as I love and bring it to me that I might eat it that my soul may bless you before I die. I want you to know here we have a big problem. We have a really big problem. What's the big problem? Did you see it? What's the big problem? He wants to give the blessing to who? To the older, to Esau. He's going very much against God's will. Big problem, big mistake. Uh, Why is he doing it? Why is he doing it? Oh, because he loves Esau more than Jacob. Uh, Verse 5. Now Rebekah, his wife, she was listening when he spoke to Esau his son. And Esau went to the field to hunt game and to bring it to dad to make a big barbecue, right? Verse six. So Rebecca spoke to Jacob, her son. Do you notice anything here? His son, her son, right? Uh, uh, She spoke to Jacob, her son saying, indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother saying, bring me game, make me savory food for me that I might eat it And that I might bless you, and I want you to underline these words, in the presence of the Lord. The Lord is all capitals. It's the word Yahweh. It's the word Jehovah. That I might bless you in the name of Yahweh before my death. And here Rebecca is saying that, hey, uh, he's going to give this blessing, and it's going to be by the effectual power of Yahweh. He's giving the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant, and he's giving it to Esau. Look what she says. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me from there two choice kids of the goats. And I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, that he might bless you before his death. Uh, What is Rebecca doing here? What is she doing to her husband? She's subverting his authority. She's going around his plan. Who's right? Nobody. Right? Uh, uh, Now, ultimately, yeah, she's got at least the right kid, right? She's doing that. But what should she have done at this point? She should have just gone and talked to her husband. Honey, did I hear you say, what the heck? Didn't God say, uh, uh, his, her, her role is to be a helpmate to her husband, right? Uh, but that doesn't happen. Instead, she plans a sinister scheme, and she's trying to talk Jacob into it here, right? Uh, what verse do we leave off on? 11. Um, and Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man. He's like a, he's like a gorilla. And I'm a smooth-skinned man. 
Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him. I want you to underline the word seem to be. Uh, I'm, that I might seem to be a deceiver to him. And I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. Here I find this very interesting. Jacob doesn't mind being a deceiver. He just doesn't want to be discovered as a deceiver. What the heck? I have no problem deceiving dad, but I don't want him to know I'm deceiving him. Uh, then he might not bless me. Uh, that is messed up, man. Uh, 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 and it reveals something. It reveals a lot about Jacob. It reveals that he really is his namesake. He's a swindler. He's a trickster. And it reveals that he doesn't know God very well yet. We're going to learn a lot here that, that reveals to us he doesn't know the Lord. He doesn't know God, right? Um, I want you to know uh, it's been well said. It's a cliche, and the reason it's a cliche is it's very powerful and very true, uh, that our character is who we are for God, not who we are for man, right? A real character is who we are when no one else is looking, when no one else is watching. That's what real character is. And Jacob here, he's not a man of real character. He just says, I, I don't mind deceiving. I just don't want to be found out, which means he's not living for who? God. Not living for God. And uh, oh, how messed up that is. Uh, we, um, when we keep, when we worry, when we're more concerned, when we value, our character with God. Do you know what will happen? Our character with each other will just take care of itself. When we want to keep our heart right before God, well, our heart right will be right before our spouse. Our heart will be right before our neighbor, before our friends, before our coworkers. Uh, Jacob here has things backwards. He wants to look good, but he doesn't care about being good and character is who we are when no one is looking uh, because God is always what you can't hide from God and I look at the difference here of a man who doesn't know God Jacob compared to a man like King David who did know God and I look at the juxtaposition of the words that they said what Jacob is saying here and what King David said in Psalm 139 take a look at this verse with me Oh, we got a little screen malfunction there. There we go. Uh, let me hear you read this, church. A thundering unified voice. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and you know my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down. And you are acquainted with all of my ways. What is David saying there? Lord, you know me inside out. He would also write a, a psalm. Where can I hide from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, there you are. If I climb to the highest mountain, there you are. If I swim to the depths of the sea, there you are. Lord, you are omnipresent. You are, you're, there, there's, there's no hiding from you. And here, David takes it even further. He says, you even know my heart. You know my rising up, 
when I wake up in the morning, uh, you know how what I'm thinking, what I'm feeling when I lay down. You comprehend my path. You know why I do what I do. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Look at this. You understand my thought afar off. Before, long before I even think of it, you knew I was going to think it. You know me that intimately. Just amazing. Uh, look at the rest of the verse. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. There's not a word on my tongue. When it's on my tongue, it's not even spoken yet. And David is saying, God, you know the words in my mouth before I even speak them. Look at the difference between how Jacob views things and how David views things. Big difference. And this is what God is trying to bring us to, that we would understand his heart for you, uh, that we would care about our heart for him, and that we would want to be right, not in man's eyes, but in whose eyes? God's eyes. I wonder, who do you want to be right before? Uh, uh, it re it's revealed in our actions, is it not? Here, look what he says, verse 12. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I will seem to be a deceiver. I'm fine being a deceiver. I just don't want to seem to be one. And I will bring a curse on myself, not a blessing. But his mother said, let your curse be on me, my son. Uh, he's he's kind of like, Mom, what are you getting me into here? He's like, no, no, she's all, I got this. Let your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice and go get them for me. So he went out and he got them. That's the animals. And he brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food such as his father loved. Yeah, she knew what he liked. She knew how to do it. Uh, she cooks it all up. Verse 15. Then Rebecca took the choice clothes of her elder son Esau. What were those? The choice clothes. Those were the clothes of the firstborn. In that culture, the firstborn had a special jacket. Uh, we read of a coat of many colors, Joseph and the coat of many colors. Now, that was the coat of the, the, the favor, the, 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 the heir of the family, right? She says, go and get the choice clothes of the elder son Esau, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son, and she put the skins of the kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Why did she do that? Because Esau is one hairy dude. This gives us an idea of how hairy Esau was, right? No wonder they named him Harry. The guy's a buffalo, crying out loud. Verse 17. Then she gave savory food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob to go deceive her husband. What a ruse, what a ploy, what a story. I want to pause here in our text. We'll come back to it, but I just want to get some application points out on the table. We learn something here, don't we? How old is Isaac? 138 years old. And you know what, we've, what we learn? You know what we see? Isaac quit leading his family in his old age. He quit leading. Uh, this is major dysfunction in this family. This is messed up. Isaac and Rebecca aren't communicating. She's not coming to him saying, honey, what's going on? Why are you making this decision? She obviously doesn't feel like she has that, that 
that that privilege like it'll do any good uh that doesn't look good on him i mean this is major dysfunction isaac is disobeying god rebecca is dishonoring her husband coming up with a deceitful plan jacob is a deceiver and he doesn't care about his character he only cares about making it look good and we see there's major dysfunction in the family why here's why isaac quit being the spiritual leader in his old age blind and feeble he gave up and it bred severe dysfunction in his family poor communication poor leadership she's a conniving wife oh look what it has bred it is major dysfunction and I want you to know something, this kind of dysfunction that we read here reveals this has been going on for a long time. This isn't brand new. Wow. I want you to know all of this dysfunction is a reflection on who? Isaac's leadership. It's all a reflection of Isaac's poor leadership. What happened? Did he get tired? Did he get lazy? Did he just feel inept because of his blindness? Men, let me have your attention. I want you to know your family needs your spiritual leadership. It is imperative. I am amazed by it, but the authority of a man in a family cannot be overstated. And when a man leads well, there is honor in the home, and it is attractive. And when a man abdicates his responsibility, the home is in chaos, and I'm amazed at how it crumbles. I'm watching. There's a family I have in mind right now. They don't go to this church, but I, I'm watching, and things are just imploding. Men, your role cannot be overstated. And your family needs your leadership. So lead, lead. I want you to know there is no retirement for spiritual leadership. I don't care if you're 138. And I want you to know it's, you don't quit being a spiritual leader when your kids are 18. Okay, they're 18, I guess I'm done. No, it doesn't work that way. You don't quit being a spiritual leader when you're tired. You don't quit being a spiritual leader when your health is bad. You don't go quit being a spiritual leader when, when you have physical ailments. No, you continue to hold your post. When you're encouraged or even when you're discouraged, you hold your post. Isaac gave up. He resigned. He hit cruise control. And his family is suffering as a result. Look at the major dysfunction in this family. And let me just ask you, how much pain do you think is associated with the dysfunction that we're reading? You see, what kind of relationship do Isaac and Rebecca have when they sit at the dinner table? Oh, it's not good. Uh, I've been married 36 years. I'm, I'm hoping that's right. Uh, 36 years. Uh, I meet some people and they've been married. I've been married 40 years. Wow. I've been married 50 years. Wow. I want you to know, it's, that's admirable. Like, it's very admirable. But you can be married for 50 years and have a horrible marriage. 
And what is most admirable is to say, I've been married for X amount of years, and it's amazing. I want you to know, you can be married for 36 years and sit across the table from your wife and still have a twinkle in your eye. And still have your spouse walk in through the door and you actually be thrilled that they're home. To still come to the dining room table and just love being together as a family. I want you to know that is living. Living is not going on an exotic vacation somewhere and having, uh, you know, uh, sunset dinners at a beautiful tropical resort. Uh, and that's nice, and there's a place for everything, and, and I love that, by the way. Uh, but, <laughs> but living, living is having a healthy home with an amazing family and an amazing marriage. And this kind of dysfunction breeds so much pain and so much needless agony. Uh, and as Isaac neglects his role as a spiritual leader, do you know what we, what we see here? It's affecting his own walk with God. Interesting. If a man fails to lead in his home, his own walk with God is adversely affected. Crazy. You say, Dave, how do you know that? Well, look what's happening. Who is Isaac giving the spiritual blessing to? To Esau. And that is in direct rebellion against who? God. You see, if you don't walk in the role that you have been given by God, it's going to affect your relationship with God, and that is just going to breed more and more and more dysfunction. What began as spiritual apathy has now led to deliberate disobedience to God as, as Isaac gives the blessing to Esau instead of to Jacob. Isaac is putting his emotions and his feelings for Esau above his obedience to God. And that is always a reflection of a bad relationship with your, with your creator. God specifically said, didn't he, that the birthright goes to Jacob. And here he is disobeying God. I wonder, does Isaac think he can really get away with this? Does he think he can really change God's plan? Does he think he can really give the blessing to Esau instead? Uh, it's amazing how not only is he physically blind, but what is his, what is his lack of spiritual leadership caused? Spiritual blindness as well. And that is damaging when you can no longer even tell what's right and wrong because your walk with God has grown so cool. Uh, his lack of spiritual leadership is affecting the whole family. And this dysfunctional imposter charade continues. Take a look. Uh, we left off on verse 17. Let's pick up in verse 18. So he, that's Jacob, dressed as Esau, went to his father and said, my father. And he said, here am I. And he said, who are you, my son? Let's pause there one second. Who are you, my son? What's happening here? Isaac has Jacob walking in in full-on deception. And Isaac asks a question, 
Who are you, my son? What's happening here? Can I tell you what's happening? God is giving Jacob one more chance. Jacob, you sure you want to do this? Last week we looked in our text at how God speaks in a what? A small, still voice. And this is what it looks like. Who are you, my son? Jacob had the opportunity right there. Do you know how uncomfortable you feel when you're, just, when you're trying to trick someone? Uh, how when you're being a total deceiver, Jacob had the opportunity right there to say, I'm not doing this. Hey, dad, it's Jacob. Uh, just checking on you. How you doing? Right? I'll be back in a minute. I'm going to go change my clothes. Uh, <laughs> that would have been a good thing. God was giving him one more chance. I think of um, uh, Judas in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night of Jesus' betrayal and arrest. Judas comes with a detachment of Roman troops to betray Jesus. And he walks up to Jesus. And do you remember Jesus' words? Just like this. Hello, friend. Why have you come? What's going on? In other words, Judas, last chance. Are you sure you want to do this? And uh, I find this uh, so true about God. God may not remove temptation, but he always gives us a way out. And here he is giving Jacob a way out of this bad path that he's about to walk. May we listen to that small, still voice when it comes. God will not force you. We have to listen to his voice. And he will always give us a way out. Do you remember what Corinthians says about this? Uh, Let's look at this verse, Corinthians chapter 10. Let me hear you read this. Uh, A a unified thundering voice. I'd love to uh, just hear the word of God read in authority. Uh, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. Let's pause. What does that mean? We all face the same stuff, man. Every guy here faces every temptation that every guy here faces. Every girl here faces every temptation that every girl faces. There's no temptation that has come to you that is like, no, you don't understand what I was going through. No, we all face it, right? It's, it's what? It's common to man. But look what he says. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, God will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Did God make a way of escape here for Jacob? Absolutely, right? Uh, uh, God may not remove temptation, but he'll always give us a way out, and we want to be careful to take it. We want to make sure we're paying attention. Uh, look at these. Uh, uh, look at what happens when my page changed. Uh, what verse are we on? 19. 19, thank you. Uh, Jacob, you sure you want to do this, God says? Verse 19. And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. Ouch, ouch. Put a little number one right there. What is that? The first lie. I have done just as you told me. I went hunting and I got some game. Put a little number two right there. What is that? The second lie. I've done just as you told me. Please arise and sit and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, I smell a rat. 
Isaac said to his son, how is it that you found it so quickly, my son? Hey, I asked you, it's only been an hour and a half, couple hours, and you've already got game? How did this happen so quickly? How did you go hunting, kill it, clean it, cook it, and bring it to me and so fast? <laughs> Something doesn't smell right, Isaac says, right? And look what Jacob answers. Because the Lord your God brought it to me. The word Lord, you'll notice, is all capitals, which means it's Jehovah, Yahweh. And now what does he do? He breaks the third commandment. He shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And it shows that his heart here is totally insensitive to who? To God. Listen, church, I want you to know something. Pay attention. Write down your one, two, three, and then give me your full attention. The more we sin, the more we sin. It's progressive. It's exponential. Pay attention. The more we sin, say it with me. Oh, man. When God gives you that opportunity... That way out, make sure you take it because it'll take you down a path that is way further and way deeper than you ever wanted to go. Yahweh blessed me and that's why I'm here, dad. Now he takes God's name in vain. Verse 21, then Isaac said to Jacob, please come near me that I might feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. Isaac senses that something's not right. He's blind, but he's not stupid. Verse 22, so Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's, but the hands are that of a monkey like Esau. Uh, amazing how hairy Esau must have been, man. I'm just blown away by it. Uh, verse 23, and he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, so he blessed him. Or in other words, Isaac, then he thought, oh, it must be Esau. Uh, Jacob is smooth skin. Verse 24, and he, that's Jacob said, oh, excuse me, he, that's Isaac said, are you really my son Esau? And put number four right here. He said, I am, I am. He said, bring it near me. That's the, the food. Bring it near me and I will eat my son's game so that, I might, so that my soul may bless you. So he brought it near him and he ate and he brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near now and kiss me, my son. I love that tenderness there. Uh, and he came near and he kissed him and he smelled the smell of his clothing and blessed him and said, surely the smell of my son is like the smell of a field which the Lord has blessed. We learn more about Esau here. What did Esau smell like? Like a hairy goat, man. Just, uh, oh yeah, you're stinky. Just like my son Esau. Yeah. And look at this. Verse 28. Therefore, may God give you of the dew of the mountain." and of the fatness of the earth, and of the plenty of grain and wine. What's he saying? Let God bless you with an abundance in this promised land that God's going to give you.
Let him just pour out the blessing. Do you see what's happening here? What is, what is Isaac doing? He's giving him the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant. Now we're going to see him pronounce the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant on his son that he thinks is who? He thinks it's Esau. Major, major sin. Look at verse 29. Let the peoples serve you and the nations bow down to you. That is the Abrahamic covenant. That you're going to have power and authority over all the nations. That was the promise that was given to the nation Israel. Uh, and ultimately that, will, that did come to pass under David, King David. It will come to pass again under King Jesus when Jesus reigns. Uh, all the nations bowing down to you. Uh, be master over your brethren and let your mother's sons bow down to you. In other words, you're going to be a leader even in your own family. You're going to be a leader of all. Uh, you're going to have tremendous leadership skills and the Jewish people do. But what do you see here? Isaac is sinning big time. Who's he sinning against? God. He's taking the Abrahamic covenant that God promised that would go to Jacob and Isaac is changing it. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be all those who bless you. Here he pronounces divine protection straight from Genesis 12, uh, straight from uh, Genesis 17 and 18. The other chapters where this Abrahamic covenant is re reviewed and reviewed and reviewed and reviewed straight from God's mouth to, uh, to Abraham. He's now pronouncing the, Abraham, the, the blessing of the Abrahamic covenant on Esau. Huge sin, huge mistake. I want to, again, take a pause and look at some things, for it is insane what we see here, isn't it? What is Jacob doing? Why is he putting on his brother's clothes? Why is he putting goat skins on his arms? What is he after? What is he after? He's after the blessing. And just think this through. Jacob attempts to gain a spiritual blessing by pretending to be someone he's not. How logical is that? The spiritual blessing can only come from who? Who's it come from? And so the way you're going to get the spiritual blessing is by pretending to be somebody you're not? How much sense does that make? Welcome to your sin nature. We do crazy, foolish things. Jacob dresses up as someone he's not to acquire a spiritual reward. Absolutely crazy thinking. And yet I wonder today in this nation, how many are going to church today dressing deceptively? Putting on a costume that portrays them as more spiritual than they really are. How many? How many here even in this very room? How many? Oh, praise the Lord. Yes, brother. Oh, you know, I'll be praying for you. Coming into a worship service, lifting your hands without lifting your heart. It's, it's common. It's common. Putting on spiritual clothes that aren't yours. To get a spiritual blessing, it sounds insane, and yet God gives us this story in the scripture because it happens all the time. And beware, this is the nature of your flesh. This is Jacob 
And Jacob has to be transformed, conformed, changed into Israel. Jacob means swindler, catcher, heel catcher, deceiver, and his name has to be changed to Israel, governed by God. And he is a picture of who? Me. Right? Uh, this is who we are. Uh, isn't it interesting? Even as we gather together in small groups, we'll act like our lives are perfect and we have it all together instead of being honest about our sin. Instead of saying, hey, would you pray for me right now? Because my marriage is really kind of rocky right now. I'm going through a hard time. Would you pray for me right now? Because I got this. We just act like, uh, well, how are we doing? Oh, good. Yeah, I was praying this morning. Good, good, doing good. Do you have any prayer requests? Well, yeah, you know, my neighbor's sick. You could pray for my neighbor. Really? Because you got leprosy, dude. Why don't you ask for a prayer? You got spiritual leprosy. Why are we praying for your neighbor's goldfish when you got spiritual leprosy, right? What are we doing? We're putting on another man's clothes, acting like we're righteous when we're really not prevalent i want you to know this know this being an imposter is toxic to your soul toxic to the very core of man you see at the core at the heart jacob is only deceiving one person who's he deceiving himself surely not tricking god uh being an imposter very toxic to our soul and the, the crazy thing is we're all tempted to do it why? Why are we so tempted to do it? Well, here's why. We want people to think that we're more righteous than we really are. Why? Why do we do this? Why is this resonating with each of us so incredibly? Why do we want people to think we're more righteous than we really are? Here's why. Because righteousness is our greatest need. We're sinners, and we know it, and we're longing for righteousness. What we really want more than anything else is righteousness. Do something wrong in your marriage. Do something stupid. And you know what you do? When you come together, you'll go, well, I did that because... And you try to give a reason that makes your reason for doing it justified. Why? Because your greatest need is justification, is righteousness. We know it. We feel it. Problem, we can't get it that way. It doesn't come that way. Righteousness can only be received as a gift from Jesus. We cannot obtain righteousness by our own efforts. And what is Jacob trying to do? He's trying to obtain the spiritual blessing by his own efforts and let me just tell you, it cannot be done. It's a sham. It's a scam. It's a ruse. It's a deception. And it's a major problem in humanity. It is such a problem that it is the exact problem that Jesus faced when he was on the earth. Have you ever wondered why did Jesus call, call fishermen to be his disciples? Why didn't he go to the church and to the temple and say, hey, uh, I'm going to call the pastors to be disciples. Why didn't he? Because they were self-righteous. And they were so prideful and self-righteous. 
that Jesus would not use them. Uh, they were imposters. They put on their royal robes. They acted like they were so righteous. They acted better than everybody else. And they were spiritual imposters. Jesus called them whitewashed tombs. In other words, paraphrase, he said, you're like a casket. Have you ever seen a casket? They're beautiful, man. It's got a nice paint job. They look like a brand new car. You're like a casket. All polished on the outside and inside you're full of rotting death, dead man's bones. Uh, unusable, unusable. Uh, what Jesus was trying to show us was that God can do far more with 12 dudes who know that they're sinners but desire to be in a relationship with God than he can with 1,200 religious leaders who think that they're super spiritual. May we see what God values. Righteousness can only be received as a gift from Jesus Christ. And without Jesus' righteousness, our righteousness is as, you know this, is as filthy rags. And the Bible is crystal clear that this righteousness is a free gift from Jesus, right? Uh, Romans 3.23 on your screens. Let me hear you read this. For all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's pause there. I want you to notice the verb tense. All of us have sinned. What is that verb tense? Past tense. And fall short. What is that? Well, in the Greek, it's in the present tense. It would be best translated. All of us have sinned a lot and are presently falling short of the glory of God. In other words, there's no hope for you. Okay, that's what it's saying. Uh, but we are being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness in our life. And I love this word. Look at this. Justified how? All of us are being justified how? freely without our effort without our work without our merit God saying I know you're a sinful mess I know you can't clean yourself up therefore I will do it for you freely it's all my righteousness given to you and how will it be given to you well it tells us as a propitiation by the blood of Jesus. And you'll be interested to know if you're a Bible scholar, that word propitiation there in Romans in the Greek is the word mercy seat. Wow, what's that? Well, if you're a Bible scholar, that's mind-boggling. Jesus' blood was given to us as a mercy seat. What's the mercy seat? Well, the mercy seat was in the Holy of Holies, the place where no one could go. It was the place that represented the very presence of God. The presence of God. Wow. And in that Holy of Holies, where the presence of God symbolically dwelt, there was an Ark of a Covenant. And in that Ark of the Covenant, there was Ten Commandments that all of us have broken, every single one. All of us have sinned and are presently falling short of those Ten Commandments. And on top of that Ark of a Covenant was a mercy seat. 
of pure gold. And on that mercy seat, blood was scattered on that mercy seat. And it was God's way of saying, all of these things I have fulfilled in myself. Jesus was that mercy seat. And his blood makes that righteousness now ours as a free gift by faith. Wow. How amazing. How amazing. And notice what Paul would go on in chapter 4 of Romans to say. Uh, let's look at this. Where is, oh, I'm sorry. Go to the next one. One more. Uh, read this with me. Uh, where is boasting then? Uh, where, where are we gonna, what are we going to boast in? How good we are? No, no, no. Boasting is excluded. By what law? The law of works? No, but the, by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified. Justified means made right before God. It means just as if we have never sinned. It means perfect righteousness imparted to us. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart the, from the deeds of the law. The problem here, what is the problem? Jacob is trying to be justified by what? By his own efforts. And it's a scam. It's a, it's a ruse. It's a deception. Now, if we know this, if we know this, here's what's going to happen. We're not going to go around trying to show everybody how righteous we are. We're going to go around clothed in humility. Because we're going to realize, Lord, this is all you're doing. And how everything changes when that happens. Uh, it's so important. If we know this, that we can only receive righteousness as a gift from Jesus. Put that slide back up for me, if you will. We can only receive righteousness as a free gift from Jesus. If we know this, we'll be clothed in humility. We'll show grace and mercy to others. Uh, may we remember that God does not like self-righteousness. God values humility and brokenness and honesty and just saying, Lord, I messed up. Please forgive me. No problem. I'll forgive you. Let's walk together. Uh, this is who he is. And God hates this religious deception. Uh, Jacob does not yet know God very well. He's raised in a Christian home. He believes in God, but he doesn't know God very well. I want to say this again. He believes in God, but he what? doesn't know God very well. And I want you to know something. All who believe in God, believe in God, but don't know God very well, all who are in this camp will dress up as religious imposters. I hope you heard that. All who believe in God, but do not know him well, will dress up as religious imposters. Trying to earn a blessing that can only be given to us by faith. And here's the paradox. Jacob schemed to earn the spiritual blessing that God had already freely given him. It was already his. What's he trying to earn? What's he deceiving for? What's he doing all this for? To earn the spiritual blessing that God had already given, given him. And in doing so, he becomes a deceiver. And take a look at it. God has painted for you a vivid picture and for me. On the outside, Jacob had all the right clothes. On the outside, Jacob had all the right words. On the outside, Jacob had all the right animal offerings to bring. On, all of it was there, but 
Inside, he was a big, huge fake. Wow. And it is at church by the droves. May we be wise. May we be wise. Do you know how painful it is to be a fake and an imposter? Do you know how empty it is being a fake and an imposter? Do you know how much anguish it brings into your life being a fake and an imposter? Do you know how much pain and suffering it brings when you start telling lies and then you have to tell more lies to cover your previous lies and on and on and on it goes? Do you know how painful and empty it is to try to act like you're spiritual and yet not have any of the fruits of the Spirit bringing the good fruit into your life? You can only do it for so long and uh, it just gets uh, miserable, miserable. And again, this radical paradox that God gave him this blessing by divine election. Jacob could not earn it. All he could do is receive it as a gift from God. No need to strive. No need to deceive. Just by faith, walk in what God had promised for him. And Jacob grew up in a religious home. Nevertheless, he will live in decades of vanity, emptiness, and pain until he learns who God really is. And we'll watch God be faithful in the weeks to come to bring him into that truth. Uh, Let's come back to our story. Uh, Back at the ranch, uh, Isaac has just given the blessing to Jacob, thinking it was Esau. Jacob is deceiving. He's got his brother's clothes on, right? And now we'll pick it up, uh, uh, verse 30. Now it happened, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob. And Jacob had scarcely gone out from his presence, just barely left the room of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunt. Yeah, it's like a soap opera, isn't it? (laughs) He also had made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father... Let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. Here, I want you to see something. Esau is a grown man. He's married. He is, you know, middle-aged. And here, what is he still longing for? The approval of his father. I just want to show you, men, how significant your role is as a spiritual leader at every season of life, it doesn't matter when. Esau still wants the blessing of his father. Uh, uh, wants to impress his dad. And he comes in, hey, dad, I got a big, huge steak for you here. You're going to love this. Problem? Isaac's already eaten, man. It's already happened. Look at verse 32. And his father Isaac said to him, who are you? So he said, what, dad? What, what, what? I'm your son. Your firstborn, Esau. And I want you to underline these words. Read them with me out loud. Verse 33. Then Isaac trembled exceedingly. Underline that. Take note. Why? Why? Why did he tremble exceedingly? And he said, who? Where is one who hunted game and brought it to me? I already ate all of it before you came. And I have blessed him, and indeed, he shall be blessed. 
I also want you to underline the words, I have blessed him, and indeed he shall be blessed. Uh, we'll close with this. What's happening here? Why is Isaac trembling? What happened? Why didn't he just say, what the heck? Esau, is that you? Get your slimy little trickster brother back in here. I'm going to give him the what for, for tricking me. What the heck? He doesn't do any of that. Instead, he trembles exceedingly. When the Bible says that, here's what it means. He was shaken to his soul. Why? Why? Here's why. Isaac knew that his sin was exposed by who? By God. Isaac knew that he had been caught tampering with God's plan and had been overturned, overruled by God. Isaac knew he was busted and that he was wrong before God. And he tells his son, Esau, I am not changing this blessing that I just gave Jacob because I realize I've been going and sinning against God. Do you know what just happened right here? Same thing that happened to Jacob. Who are you? That was Jacob's chance to do what? To repent and to do the right thing. Isaac, excuse me, Esau comes in and Isaac says, who are you? And he says, I'm Esau. And that was that same chance for Isaac to do what? To repent and go, what the heck? And guess what Isaac does? Isaac repents. He goes, oh my gosh, what am I doing? God, I am so sorry. I will not give the blessing to Esau. I will keep the blessing on Jacob. Lord, in your sovereignty, you have saved me. Thank you for your grace. And Isaac repents right here, right now. This is what a real walk with God looks like. It's not that we don't mess up, but when we're busted, when we do mess up, we repent. We repent. And I am really happy to report, we'll look at it next week, Isaac, now at 138 years old, steps up back into the game as the spiritual leader of his family. And he's going to make some really good decisions that we'll look at next week to lead his family on the right path, to guide him in the right way. And he, even though he's blind and feeble, he repents and God uses him. Uh, and I love that about God. His grace is amazing. He's there to, to lead us, to guide us, and to bring us forward. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.